Okay, let me set this up. Last week we set up the book of Luke, and here's the book of Luke, okay? Uh, Luke is a disciple, not one of, of the close disciples. He's one of 70 disciples. He's following along. He's following the teaching of Paul, okay? Paul is very famous. He's written a lot of stuff in Scripture. Paul was an apostle. Paul saw Jesus firsthand, okay, to set this up. Luke is a very intelligent man. He's a doctor, refers to in different parts of the Bible. He's very intelligent. He's very intellectual. He's very accurate in everything that he does and says. Well, Paul, the guy that Luke was following, ends up in jail. Luke voluntarily puts himself in jail. And the reason he does that is he wants to be around Paul even longer. He wants to record what we are now reading, Luke here. He wants to record it and get it very accurate. See, during this time, Paul was able to go and talk to eyewitnesses that saw Jesus Christ, that heard Jesus Christ. Luke was able to go and, and read documents that people were writing about Jesus. See, Luke had a great calling on his life, and it was to get the Scripture accurate. So that today, we can look back, right now in the year 2013, I said it right, we can look back and we can know that the writing of Luke is accurate because he was very detailed in what he did. It said in the first four verses, if you want to look through that, he, he, he's doing this so Theophilus, a high Roman official in the, government, uh, you know, in the government of Rome, will know that what he's about to read is certain. So he sets it up last week and says, I'm Luke, I've done my research, I've done my homework, and everything you're about to read is 100% accurate. And so that puts a lot of integrity into this narrative that we're going into. So that's the setup of it. Let's go to verse 5. We're going to pick this thing apart. And I encourage you, write in your Bible, take your notes on version, do whatever you need to do. Here's kind of my job, and here's our job. To whet your appetite for Scripture. You're not going to get everything today. Uh, some of the things that jumped out at me will not jump out at you. There may be other things that jump out at you. Our job is to whet your appetite. So you leave and you're like, I want to know more about Luke. I want to study it. I want to know it more. So with that being said, let's just start in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly. Let's stop right there. And let's look at, at just these two verses already. Uh, the writing, Luke is setting it up and he's saying, Hey, here's the time period of Herod. Herod was 40 to 4 BC, so this is before Jesus Christ came. He's writing about this time, and he says there was this man, Zechariah. Names at this time were real important. They meant a whole lot. And the name Zechariah means this, God remembers, which is going to be real important later on in our narrative. But just know the name Zechariah means God remembers. He, he says that this is the time of Herod. There's this man, Zechariah, which means God remembers. And he was married to Elizabeth. And they were both from descendants of Aaron, Moses. They came from a family with a rich heritage of people that were serving Jesus Christ. These were godly, Zechariah and Elizabeth were godly men and women with a rich heritage. And in verse 6 it says, Both of them were upright in the sight of God. Observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. 
What do you hear, or what do you think when you hear upright and blameless? You hear, they sinned never, they never did anything wrong. That's what I hear. That's false, okay? They sinned. They did bad stuff. However, they did not make sin a way of life. And they daily found renewal in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to hear that. Because I had to hear that as I was reading this. I'm reading about these godly men and this godly woman. They were upright and blameless. And I'm thinking, I kind of stink. I do bad stuff all the time. There's no way I can be this. The difference between them and us is only one thing, maybe. And it's this. They daily found renewal in Jesus Christ. Think about this in your life. Maybe this morning, you're like, Aaron, if you only knew what I did this morning. Oh my goodness, like, I'm not upright. I have sin in my life. Okay, are you finding renewal in Jesus Christ? Because He's here, He's saying, you're not perfect, I've died for you. I can offer forgiveness for any wrong that you've done. I like that. Let's go to verse 7. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. So here's this godly man and woman. They're upright. They're living life the way it should be lived. However, verse 7 comes along and it says, But, but they had no children. During this time, Hebrew people, children was a sign of blessing from God. Which means almost the reverse. If you don't have children as a married couple, it's almost like God's blessing is not on your life. And so here's this godly man and woman. They're living upright and blameless and God hasn't blessed them with children. What's up? Like, I'm doing all I can, God. What's up? And I imagine that even Zachariah and Elizabeth were praying day in and day out, God, please, we want children. Like, we're not complete without children. God, please bless our life with children. And sometimes, God is going to respond to our prayers with no. Sometimes, regardless of how hard that we pray uh, or life circumstances are coming our way, they're going to be hard and God's going to respond with a no and we don't understand it. What I think is important for us to grab from verse 7 and on into the narrative is we should not succumb to bitterness. Jeremy talked about it a little bit, our perspective, our attitude. We should never succumb to bitterness. It's easy when God's saying, no, no, and life is getting hard, hard. It's easy to let bitterness come into our life and destroy us. See, the fruit of bitterness, it leads to anger and frustration. And the only thing bitterness will do is is just sap the joy out of your life. It will suck it right out of your life if you become bitter. Why look at Zachariah and Elizabeth, and especially, they're, they're doing everything that they can to serve the Lord, and God's not blessing them with children. I can see how easy it would be for them to become bitter. Do you? What about your life? What have you experienced that gives you all right to be bitter? Maybe it's a loss of a child. Maybe it's financial collapse. Maybe it's one of your own kids is running and living wild. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's just a major disappointment or an unfortunate accident in your life. I imagine all of us, if we get selfish enough, we can look at some part of our life and say, I have every right to be bitter against God. Is that where you find yourself today? 
I think Zachariah and Elizabeth, they had every right to be bitter. But they did not succumb to bitterness. When the pain comes, how will we handle it? When hard things come in life, how will we handle it? God has a way. He can take a bad situation and turn it to good. And it's kind of like this. It's cheesy, but why not? I titled this message, Let God Out of the Box. (laughs) Kind of cheesy, right? But it's very real. I'm good with God as long as He fits in the way I think He should respond to my life. I'm good with God as long as all my prayers are being answered. I'm good with God as long as I have children and there's no disappointment. What happens when we open it up and we let God out of the box into all aspects of our life? Sometimes that means our prayers are going to be no. Sometimes that means there's going to be pain, which I promise you we're all going to go through pain in life. Our challenge today is to think about this. Is God in a little box contained in your life? Our perspective sometimes needs to change. Sometimes God's going to use a hard situation in our life to make us better. I think back, I was a youth pastor in Texas to a massive youth group, and I think about the just tons of youth leaders that we had, adult leaders, solid, solid people. There's one couple that really stands out in my mind. And this couple, they couldn't have kids. They couldn't have kids. That's a pain. God took that and allowed them to be youth leaders in our youth group to hundreds of kids. I went to their house and there's pictures of our students on their wall. They didn't have one kid. They had hundreds of kids. They let God's perspective be their perspective. They let what could have been a bitterness in their heart turn into a great joy in their life. And they let God be shown through their life. How about you and I? Have we succumbed to bitterness in our life? Alright, let's go on to verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were outside praying. Let's look at these three verses. Yeah, we're going all the way today. How you like it? Stretch it out. Let's stretch it out right here. We're going good. This is good. There's a lot of stuff in here and I had to leave a lot out. But let's look at these three verses. Okay, Zechariah, it shows us that he was a priest. That was his job. That would be kind of modern day clergy. He got paid to do this. His family has done this. That He was a priest, okay? And this is such a, a in the time period, priests ran the temple. The temple was the central gathering point for anything religious for the Jewish people. So people would come and pray there. They would go and offer sacrifices there. Like this was the place where people would go for any religious activity. And the priests were the ones that ran this. Now to give you the picture of what this means, Zechariah was part of a company that had a thousand priests in it. Okay? That's one company. There were 20 to 24 companies that would take turns running the temple. So lots of priests. Once a day, by lot, which means they would throw their name in a hat and a name was picked out, by lot, once a day, a priest would go in at night and he would burn incense in the temple. 
And this incense would go up to heaven. And people were outside the temple praying and sacrificing. And this was a great honor to be drawn. In fact, some priests, because there were so many, would go their whole life with never being drawn. This was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that Zechariah got right here during this time. And I think it's really cool, the story that comes, knowing that he was lucky to be drawn to go in and burn incense as we go forward. Okay? Let's go on. Verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are able to give him the name John. And, and you are to give him the name John. As we look at these three verses, the first thing that jumps out at me is just gripped in fear. <laughs> Zechariah goes in, once in a lifetime opportunity to burn incense in, in, in the temple, and an angel appears to him. He, I mean, this happens oftentimes when angels appear to people in the Bible. The first thing is they're gripped with fear. So he's gripped with fear and, and, and the angel starts talking to him and says, You are going to have a son. Your prayers are answered. John's probably going, Oh my goodness, what is happening? And not only that, the angel says you're to name him John. Remember, names are of utmost importance during this time. The name John means this. It means the Lord is gracious. How cool is that? Zechariah's name was God remembers. Zechariah and Elizabeth don't have a blessing of a child. Then an angel comes and says, here's the name John, which means the Lord is gracious. What does this do to your heart? If I'm Zechariah, I'm saying, Amen, the Lord is gracious. You've just answered something that has been a deep pain in my life. Amen, the Lord is gracious. The one thing I do want to point out in these three verses, where is he at when the angel comes and speaks to him? He's going into the temple. What is he doing? He's worshiping God. Something sweet happens when the people come together to worship God. Something sweet happens here every Sunday morning when we come to worship God. I think it is just incredibly neat that God chose this moment to show Zechariah His love. Do we take our worship serious? See, there's not just one person coming in here to worship God that was luckily chosen. We all get the opportunity to come in every day and worship God. Don't take that lightly. Maybe, maybe next time before you walk in here, think, I was chosen today to go worship God. And it will put everything in a different perspective because we'll be so honored to be here and we'll be expecting to hear the voice of God. Whew. Sorry, I, I, I'll move on. Verse 14. He will be a joy. The angel's talking to Zechariah and, and saying, don't be scared, you're going to have a son. Verse 14. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drinks, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to make and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I want to stop right there. He's saying the angels telling Zechariah, your son is going to be set apart. He's going to be set apart. He's not going to be like any other son that, that you've known. He's going to be set apart. He is going to turn the hearts of Israel back to the Lord. And remember, Zechariah is a priest. His job is to do this himself. And he's hearing that his son is going to be filled with God from the beginning to do this. What a great honor. What I think is neat as I, as I survey just these four verses right here is John is coming. And he's going to be a sign of great things that's to come, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't on the scene yet. It's just God. That's it. John comes to be a sign of great things, which is Jesus. What does this mean to us in our life? God is at work in our life. I promise you. He's at work in your life. Are we keeping our eyes and heart open for Him? He's showing us signs every day of His greatness. He's showing us where He is every day. Are we missing Him though? See, they sent John to be the forerunner of Jesus. Every day we wake up and God is sending us signs of His love. Are we having eyes and, and hearts to see that? What I also think is neat in this verse is in verse 15. It's the first time that, that Luke kind of alludes to the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Whatever, you can read about that on your own. Um, and then I also think it's cool in these four verses that simultaneously, God is working personally in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life and corporately. I mean, look at this. This is a great pain for Zechariah and Elizabeth. They've been praying for a son. They've been praying their whole life and nothing has happened. And God chooses to bless them at this moment. And yet, not only that, personally he's answering their prayers, but what's he doing for the nation of Israel? He's answering the prayers at large. Simultaneously, God can work. Woo! That's awesome. I like using awesome today. Verse 18. I hate verse 18. I wish we could strike it out. But it's here. So let's talk about it. All this great things happening in Zechariah's life. We come to verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, How can you, I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. What does he do? The very first thing he does after God's moved in his life to this point, he questions how it's even possible. He questions whether God can even do this thing. Ouch! Seriously? Maybe he's just scared to death because of the angel. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe he's confused, but he questions. In a very real sense, what does he start to do? The same thing I do every day. He makes excuses. God, I know you want to bless my life. I know you want to use my life. I know that you love me. But, and I make my excuse every day. Oftentimes, our sin in our life isn't that big flamboyant thing that goes directly against what God's teaching us. Oftentimes, the sin in our life and the thing that keeps us from a vibrant relationship with God is disbelief that He can actually move in our life and not trusting God. Zechariah. Hmm. Next week, we're going to get into 
Mary. And an angel comes to Mary and tells her the same thing. He says, you're going to have a child. He's going to be named Jesus. And the way she responds is completely different from the way Zechariah responds. We'll look at that next week. Verse 19. Oh, the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and you will not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. What the angel told Zachariah at this time is, you would be dead if the report was going to be bad because God is holy and He's good. Because you did not believe God and you do not believe this message, you need to just be quiet for a while and watch God work in your life. Maybe that's some of us. Maybe God has shown us something really cool in our life. He's teaching us something and we're, we're making excuses all over the place. Yeah, but I did this and I'm not good enough. Or how can you use me? Or God, you can't forgive this. Or blah, 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 blah. I can do that because I've made all these excuses myself. And God's saying, shut up. And watch me move in your life. I am powerful. Watch me move in your life. Trust me. Get me out of your stupid little box. Because when I move, it's going to be bigger than anything you've ever known. <laughs> Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. So what happens? Zechariah doesn't believe this good news. The angel says, it's time for you to shut up and watch God move for a while. You're not able to speak. And if you read further on in Luke and you get to verse 65, he's not able to hear either. So he can't hear and he can't speak. He can't even communicate. The only thing that he can do is make signs to people and watch God move. I think it's neat that while he was in there praying, and people were out there praying, they noticed he was taking a long time in there. And they wandered. And when he came out, it was obvious he had heard from God. When God moves in people's lives, people around us will wander. When we've heard from God, people will wander. What's different about that person? How can they smile more? How can they have a positive outlook? How can they seriously be happy at this moment when we go to our workplaces and we've seen the face of our King and He's impacted us? People notice. When we go to our schools, when we go to the grocery store, people notice. They notice that Zechariah had been with Jesus, with the King, with the Lord. They noticed that. What an opportunity we have every single day of our life to walk through life like everyone else, and smile and point to the love of Jesus Christ. Because people already are wondering why you're different. They know something's up. Are we able to speak to them and show them the love of God? Let's go to verse 23. When his time of service was complete, he returned home. I think this is probably one of the coolest things that is overlooked oftentimes in verse 23. When his time of service was complete, he returned home. I know if it's me and I'm Zachariah, I go in, I get this once in a lifetime opportunity to burn incense in the temple, I'm pumped. Then God tells me I'm going to have a son, I'm way excited. 
And then He causes me not to speak or hear. I'm like, whoa! As soon as I'm out of the temple, guess where I'm going? I'm running home to somehow relay this message to Lauren, my wife. Like I'm, Paul, I'm like, forget you guys. But no, what does He do? He stays and completes His service, and then He returns home. This probably speaks volumes into the faithfulness of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were faithful, upright, blameless. They loved God. Verse 24 and 25, we'll wrap this up. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, He has shown His favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. When the blessing came, it was sweeter than they would have ever imagined. Had they had a son 30 years ago, it would have been a cool gift from God, but it would have been like every other child born. They went through life. They continued to serve God. They never let the root of bitterness come in. They trusted God was going to move in their life. They took Him out of the stupid little box and said, God, use my life. Speak into my life however you want. And when He chose to bless them, He not only blessed them, He gave them a phenomenal blessing. Don't Give up on God. Don't stop praying. Sometime God will close the door in our life on purpose because He has something better waiting for us. How dare we yell or question God through our life and let bitterness come in? We should be able to say, God, I know who you are. And I know you've got phenomenal things for my life. Take church project. We were renting a space. It was great. We heard God say, get a space of your own. We said, okay, <laughs> this is going to be hard. We don't have a lot of people tithing. There's not a lot of money. How can we do this? God said, move into your house. Our house. Talk about awkward. <laughs> Not ideal. But we had heard God. So we moved into our house. This building came up. For $1,200 a month, this building came up. Does anyone have $1,200 laying around? We did it. God says, stay faithful. I told you, I'm moving you. We end up months later getting this building for $800 a month. Not only that, paid for in cash for a whole year. A blessing of God. Our lives are better on God's time. And the favor of God is better when He puts it on us and we don't try to force it in our life. Let God out of that box because it's stupid and tiny. Let Him move in your life, regardless of whatever it looks like. I want you to just close your Bibles and, and, and think about this. A couple things. 
Are you open for God to use a new method to bring your dreams to reality? I'm going to ask that again. Are you open for God to use a new method to bring your dreams to reality? It may not be the way that you plan. It may be harder than you thought. You can't wait for that blessing to come. Are you open for Him to do it in a different way? If you can answer yes to that question, you're in a good spot. Because you know why you're going to get blessed anyways? One reason God does it His way and on His time is so He will get all the credit. The story of Church Project is a lot better knowing that we could not raise $9,600 in two weeks. It's way better knowing that God provided that. The story of Zachariah and Elizabeth is so much sweeter because they had no control. And God chose to bless them and pour His favor on His time. If we can be a people that are okay with whenever God moves, however God moves, our life will be better and I promise you that. And why? Because God wants to show Himself off through your life. That's the coolest story.